So we are in um, Philippians chapter 1 today. We're actually going to finish the chapter. I know we've been there for four weeks. This is the fourth week, but we're going to finish it up. So if you turn to Philippians uh, chapter 4, we'll get started. Or chapter 1, excuse me. Jumping ahead there. I'm, I'm all messed up. I just had a grandson. Yeah. Number five. So number f- five grandkids. So I'm all excited. So now we've got uh, four grandsons and one granddaughter. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, just for everything. And for giving us your word that gives us the deepest desires of your heart for us. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, Lord, and not to take the words that we read lightly, but take them and apply them to our lives that this faith that we hear, this, these words that we hear, that we actually put them to good use to glorify you, to be a light that shines bright for your glory. So, Lord, speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read the passages that we're going to look at today. We finished at 21 last week, but let's back it up to uh, verse 20 and read through. Paul says, uh, Paul's in jail right now in prison writing this letter, and he says, according to my earnest expectation of hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. He's praying that they would give, pray for boldness for him as he's in prison. Hello? This guy's an animal. (laughs) For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again." Only let your conduct, your lifestyle, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God." For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. That's powerful stuff right there. Now you know why it's been taking us so long to get through the first chapter. There is so much in there. I hope you're grabbing onto it. So many passages that we quote constantly are come from the letter of Philippians. It's a mini-letter. And you can read the whole book in 12 minutes, and, but it's action-packed. Here's Paul telling us that his desires is to see fruit from their life. 
His desires is to encourage them into the Lord. He says to live as Christ, to die as gain. He says, listen, I, I, you know, I, I'm torn between the two. I mean, to, to depart from here and to be with the Lord is far better, but to stay here and to be with you is more needful for you. And, he, and he's like, I can't, I, I, I can't make a decision which one I want to do. Because he knew that every day that he was on this earth, that he was going to preach the gospel. And there was an opportunity for fruit to be made, to be born out of his, his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ because he had this idea in his head that thy will be done, not my will. And that's, really the, the, that's what really sums up our walk. Whose will do you want done in your life? Now, I know as believers, a lot of times, and even as a pastor, Lord, I want my will. I, I, you know, I, I ask for things. I don't know if it's what he wants for me. He doesn't give them to me. I'm like, why aren't you giving this to me? Why haven't you answered this prayer? What's going on here? And, he, and then he just reminds me, my will will be done, not yours, Steve. So I want to I put out my petitions, and there's nothing wrong with asking for things, but at the end, why don't you end it with, thy will be done, Amen. not my will. Paul understood that. He wanted to see great fruit. He realized there was a window of opportunity that's so small for you and me to live for Christ. What are you living for? That's the real question. My, my title for the message is, why are we here? Why are you here? You want to know why you're here? To preach the gospel and to serve God. You say, wait, Steve, is that it? What about my family? What about my career? What about my, my education? Those things are fine. Go, those, you can do all that stuff. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that your sole purpose for being here is to serve God and to preach the gospel. How do I know? Because Adam and Eve fell in the garden. That's where it goes all the way back. They fell in the garden, and from then on, we were born into sin. All man was born into sin. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did the unthinkable. He came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, rose on the third day, and offers the gift of salvation to whoever will believe in him so that you will live forever so you won't perish and go to hell because he didn't create hell for you. He created for Satan and the fallen angels. But man is stubborn. Why? We have a sinful nature. See, what we don't realize is when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it wasn't just humanity that got rocked. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that woke up and saw that they were naked. They were clothed with light. They walked with God. And then they sinned and the light went out and they saw their flesh and they hid themselves. They were scared. But it wasn't just humanity that got rocked. All of creation got rocked. The animals, the, the fish, the birds, the, the trees, the plants, the, the mountains. The Bible tells us that all of creation groans and travails awaiting the coming of the Lord because why? He's going to make everything like it was supposed to be. This isn't what it was supposed to be. So if you're enjoying this world at all, we've got a lot more in store for us in heaven. Amen? So he says to us, he gives us the great commission. He says, go out and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them. The Word of God, baptize Him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do. That's the Great Commission. Serve God, live for God, share the Gospel. See, because the Gospel can't be chained up. You can't, you can't keep the Gospel out. Oh, I know the Muslim countries have shut down the preaching of Jesus Christ. 
that you can't come in there, Christians, you could be beheaded and stuff like that. I get that, but does, you think that can stop God? He's giving, he's giving those Muslims dreams and visions about Him. And they're getting saved left and right. You can't chain the gospel. You can't put up a wall. No iron curtain, no china wall is going to keep the gospel out. You can take away my Bible. You can take away my church. You can throw me in prison. But you can't take away my relationship. You can't stop me from talking to my Lord and Him talking to me. Because the Holy Spirit will still teach me even if I'm in prison. And that's what Paul was saying. They're all bummed. Paul, you're in prison. He goes, no, no, this is awesome. How else would I speak to the Praetorian Guard about Jesus Christ unless I was arrested? This is awesome. I'm facing an opportunity to speak to the ruler of the world. And he wasn't going to miss out on that opportunity. Paul was going to stand before Nero. It's crazy. See, in Acts, when Paul got converted on the road to Damascus, and then uh, Jesus tells Ananias, go, go, go pray for Paul. That he, well, he was Saul at that time. Jesus changed his name. He says, go pray for Saul. He's a vessel for me. And uh, pray for him that he receive his sight and baptize him in the Holy Spirit. And so Ananias goes, uh, Lord, uh, do you know who this guy is? <laughs> right? You ever filled in the Lord? They were like, Lord, let me, let me just, you know, maybe you don't know this. And he goes, go. He's a chosen vessel for me to speak to kings and rulers, to the Gentiles and the men of Israel. And so from that point on, Paul was on a mission. He was on a mission. He was going to preach the gospel everywhere he went. He was going to get thrown in jail. He's going to preach the gospel in jail. He's going to get out of jail. He's going to preach the gospel when he gets out of jail. He's now thrown back into jail. He's going to preach the gospel. He's facing Nero. And he's going to preach the gospel. He's chained to the Praetorian. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing what he, you know, he, he realized to live as Christ. Whatever situation, he realized that all these hard situations that he had been in in his past through all his three missionary journeys, he said it all had a purpose because when he was uncomfortable, when he was suffering for Jesus' namesake, the gospel was going out and people were getting saved. And in his mind, it was worth it, whatever he suffered, because he, you know, if, he, if his blood was spilled, he said it was for the gospel's sake, because Jesus spilled his blood for us. And Jesus said, you're going to speak before kings and rulers. So as he's going on his missionary journeys, and people are saying, Paul, these guys want to kill you. Paul, you're going to, he's like, nope, I haven't spoke to kings yet. Can't happen. And then you guys know the story that, you know, he finally made it to Jerusalem and he was warned by the prophets. They said, listen, you know, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound in chains. It was prophecy. They're like, Paul, don't go. And he goes, stop. Why do you want to hurt me like that? I need to go. And he got his, he got his real big opportunity to share the gospel with the people in Jerusalem. This is, these are his peeps. He's like, man, they, they can relate to me. I was a Pharisee. I, I, I got this. And he gives this message and they want to tear him apart. They were following, they were tracking him with his testimony. They were tracking about Jesus, like, okay, this Jesus thing, okay. Paul, you got converted, he knocked you off the horse. Oh, wow, that's awesome, he told you to go preach the gospel. Okay, we get that. And then all of a sudden he said, yeah, he told me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said Gentiles, they freaked out. They hated Gentiles. And this riot broke out and was so bad that the, the captain, the guard of the Roman soldiers, they grabbed him, they, they hauled him off, and long story short, um, 
they discovered that there was 40 men that took a vow that they weren't going to eat or drink until they killed Paul. And so the, the, the guard says, listen, here we know what, let's, let's, let's get him out of here. So they got ready over 200 soldiers and men and horses and put Paul on it, rode him right out of town to Caesarea. He got down to Caesarea and down there, how many have been to Israel, been, been to Caesarea? Okay, so you know the big theater there? Awesome. So he's down there in Caesarea for a couple of years, and he's chained. I mean, he's, you know, he's in, in, in custody. And so he deals with this guy, uh, Felix, who's the governor there. And what does he do? He gives Felix his testimony. And then Felix gets replaced by Festus. Not the guy from Gunsmoke, but Festus. And, he, and what does he do to Festus? He gives Festus his testimony. And then King Agrippa and his wife, are cruising through to check on the area to see how things are going. And Festus tells King Agrippa about this Paul guy and that he had, he called out to go to Caesar and to be in front of Caesar, so Caesar, he must go. And, and he said, I want to hear this guy. And so Agrippa shows up with this giant, you know, pomp, you know, fan for all these people, and they fill that theater that you've been to there in Caesarea. It holds like five, 6,000 people. There's all kinds of people there. What does Paul do? He preaches the gospel, right? He give, actually, he gives his testimony that lead up to it. Because, you know, if you don't know how to share the gospel, give your testimony. You know, you ever heard people give their testimonies? Sometimes you get like in these testimony competitions, who was the rottenest, right? And some guy gives his testimony and then somebody else goes, oh, that's nothing. I was blah, 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 blah. Why don't you just simplify your testimony? I was an idiot, and I got saved. So Paul gives his testimony. And Paul's giving his testimony, and he's just about to bring the clothes in on Agrippa, and it's going really good. And all of a sudden, Festus goes, Paul, you're mad. You're nuts. Too much learning has made you crazy. And Paul says, my noble Festus, I'm not, I'm not crazy. This is truth. And then he goes to close the deal again and he looks at King Agrippa and he goes, King Agrippa, do you believe these things? You know these are the words of God. King Agrippa, do you believe? And King Agrippa goes, Paul, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. And, he's, and Paul said, I, I would not just you, but everyone here would be just like me except for these chains. How do you stop a guy like that? Paul would stand before Nero. Now, as he's writing this letter, he's actually going to be released from Rome because he will stand before Nero, and you know when he got before Nero, he gave Nero double barrels, both barrels, right? He laid it out there, right? I mean, come on. He's thinking, man, if I could, if I could cause the ruler of the world to get saved, think what that would do for the kingdom. And he, and, you know, but you got to battle with man and his pride, especially when he rules the world. Power, saying someone's more powerful than you. you got to surrender doesn't always sit well with powerful people and so he gives it to him strong and Paul was released from Rome and he he went around for like two years before they arrested him again and brought him back and Nero behead him what happened it's interesting because Nero something happened to Nero after the gospel was preached history records that shortly after Paul had spoke to Nero and was released that Nero went nuts he went insane. He started killing Christians. 
See, when the gospel is given to you, much is given, much is required. God was looking to Nero to make the right decision. But, you know, you know that Satan isn't omnipresent, but he's busy working on the big leaders in the world, right? And he just probably just engulfed Nero to such a place where he just turned him into a loony bin and he starts killing Christians. He was taking Christians and using them as torches to light his garden parties. He would put them up on poles and wrap them with these sheets with tar and stuff, set them on fire, ride his chariot through the garden naked, screaming. Sounds like a nut. He wanted to burn down Rome and rebuild it and name it after himself and make it more glorious and better. And what he did, he, so he burned down Rome, but everybody got really upset with him. So to take the pressure off for him, he blamed it on the Christians. And from that point on, they started attacking Christians big time. And this is why you saw Christians fed to the lions. You saw Christians standing before gladiators. You saw Christians beheaded. He went insane. And he went insane, and then he captured Paul two years after being released and beheaded him. So my question is, why are you here? If you're here just because you think you've got a career, you've got to build your business up, or this or that, um, God's only put you in that position so you could preach the gospel. And you don't want to make that your God. You want to make God your God. And we're here to spread the gospel and to serve Jesus Christ. That means every opportunity to give the gospel. Your job, the reason you, you are here is to reduce the population of hell. Plain and simple. To share the gospel in love with everybody. You don't have to be an, a, a crazy about it. Just love on people. They'll give you an opportunity. Say, God, open a door with this guy. Always go to God about the man before you go to the man about God. You, you, he's walking, he's coming at you. Lord, help me out here. <laughs> Holy Spirit will show up. You know, I grew up with um, Billy Graham. Anybody remember Billy Graham? He was like the guy growing up. We weren't even born again. We were Catholics. I didn't know what it meant to be born again. I knew there was Jesus. There was only one God. But we would, when Billy Graham would come on TV, it was like, you know, it was back when the TV was like, you know, had a big back to it. I mean, some of you don't even remember that, but had a big back and it was black and white. And when Billy Graham would come on, the whole family would gather around. We'd be eating dinner and watch Billy Graham. But that was all over America. In America, if you were an American, you were considered a Christian, even if you weren't a Christian. Somebody would say, are you a Christian? Well, I'm American, aren't I? Right? And throughout our nation, people in the world would watch Billy Graham when he came on. It was a powerful message. And every time he was on, he gave the gospel. And God used that man to preach to millions throughout the world, to leaders, to prime ministers, to presidents, to kings. He was faithful every time that he stood before someone to give the gospel. His son Franklin and his grandson Will are doing the same thing. I don't know if you're ever watching the news and you see Franklin Graham come on with a commercial. He'll talk about Samaritan's Purse and a little bit of what they're doing, but he always makes sure that he doesn't finish the commercial without giving the gospel. And he says, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, pray this prayer. And he said, if you just receive Jesus Christ, call this number so we can get you plugged in. We'd love to pray with you. He saw the opportunity every time. 
How many people has God put you in front of and given you an opportunity to share the gospel? Did you take that opportunity? You know, I want to tell you something that happened to me about, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, ten years ago. Check this out. This is weird. This is no joke. CNN called me. You know CNN? The Communist News Network? Right? (laughs) CNN called me. And they said they wanted to do a piece on giving back to the community. And I'm thinking, why are you calling me? And, and they, they were asking me about what I do in the community because they had got word that we do stuff for the community. So I immediately start talking about the church. And I'm saying, well, this is what the church does. We've got this great bunch of people. We're doing all this stuff. We're helping people here. We're doing that. We're ready when there's a disaster, blah, 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 blah. And, and it was like it was going over like a lead weight, you know. And they go, well, do you do anything else? And I go, well, I, I make surfboards and, and we have a martial arts school, Taekwondo. And they're like, oh, tell us about that martial arts school. And I said, well, you know, we, we train kids. It's mostly kids, but it's adults too. And we train these kids to, be, uh, to have self-control. So they learn how to fight, not to fight. And they learn to be an asset in the community and to help in the community, to respect their elders, to honor people, to be good, to be a blessing and not a curse. And they go, oh, well, we want to do a piece on that. So I was like, okay. So I'm thinking to myself, I go, this has got to be a God thing, right? I mean, come on, CNN calling loser Steve. I mean, who am I, right? Exactly, right? Can I get an amen? Who am I? And I'm like, martial arts school, there's thousands of martial arts schools throughout all America with guys that like more skilled than I'll ever wish to be. With schools that are more prosperous than my little school. And so they came out with their cameraman, and, and they, uh, they filmed the whole class, and they interviewed little kids, and they say, why do you do Taekwondo? And, and it was awesome. These, these little kids said, uh, so I learned self-control. One would say, oh, so I could be a help to the community. Oh, so I could be an example to other kids to do good. Oh, so we could have good morals. I was just like, yes. <laughs> so then they interview me, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm just going to talk about Jesus the whole time. Amen. You know, because they're probably not going to print this, and if they're going to cut everything out, they're going to have to cut everything out in order to film anything, and then it'll just be like a blip, 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 and it's done, you know? <laughs> so I just start talking about Jesus. I talk, I, they go, well, what about, what was your background? And I said, well, here's what I used to be. I go, I used to be a drug addict, a, a smuggler, a drug dealer, involved in crime and violence and immorality, and one day a friend of mine shared the gospel with me, and I gave my life to Christ. And he told me that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again on the third day and if I take this gift, I'll have eternal life. And, and I realized that my life wasn't amounting to anything and I needed to get saved and I gave my life to Jesus Christ and, and my life was transformed. And then I realized as I, we started a school, we started doing this, this martial arts school that I wanted to teach kids to be able to give back to the community, to have respect for elders, to have respect for others, to have self-control, to not be pushed into fights, that they would be a blessing to the community and not a curse, that they would be a light that shines bright for others. And I just kept talking about Jesus through the whole thing. And it was funny because like the guys, are, there was like two guys filming and then the interviewer, right? And they're, they're like, jaw dropped. They're like, listen to this, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And uh, they finished the interview, and 
they packed it up, and they were really nice, you know. They shook my hand. They said, well, you know, if they're going to show it, they're going to contact you on your email. So I figured, goner. <laughs> I mean, CNN, right? Goner. And two weeks later, they, they notified me by email, and they said, yeah, we're going to be playing it on this date. It's going to start on the Robin Mead show, and then it's going to, you know, circle, e- loop every hour, right? And, uh, and they sent me a DVD, and they kept everything in that I said. And I had people calling me from California all the way to the East Coast that were like, they saw it, and the people that had visited here, people that I knew, people that we'd gone to Israel, they're like, I can't believe it's CNN. They, the gospel just went out on CNN. Are you kidding me? I say that to you because, guys, I'm nobody. I was at least intelligent enough to recognize this was God because they shouldn't even be calling me because I'm nobody. But God likes to do stuff with nobodies. God wants to use you. Are you willing to let Him use you? Are you available? Do you live and breathe every moment just to share the love of God with people? Just loving on people, encouraging people that Jesus is the way, is the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father except by Him. You know, my, my heart breaks when I, over the years, watched the Pope. And I, I'm not trying to offend you if you're Catholic. I was Catholic. I'm just trying to wake you up a little bit. Out of all the years I've watched the different Popes, I have never once heard one of them give the Gospel. It's always drawing the attention to themselves, drawing to the attention of the Catholic Church, even to this day. If you want to get saved, you've got to go through the Catholic Church. That's a lie. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to wake you up. Just once, I would like the Pope, when he gathers, because here's what happens. Thousands, hundreds of thousands gather. Million, billion, billion, two billion people watching on TV. I would just like once for the Pope to say, hey, stop the madness. Stop bringing all your attention to me or to the church. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by Him. Stop looking at me. I can't save you. The Catholic Church can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Pray for that. Because I know if, if Paul had the same opportunity, he'd grab that mic and say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, and drop the mic. (laughs) Fifteen seconds, that's all He need. Paul tells us in verse 22, he says, but if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I'm going to die, I know it's going to even be better. He says if I stay around, if this body continues on this earth, guess what? There's going to be more fruit to my labor. Is that how you look at it? Every day you wake up is an opportunity to build more fruit. Laboring for Christ. 
He talks about his flesh being a vessel, an instrument. Is your body a vessel, an instrument for Jesus Christ? We sing that song, I Surrender All, but we really sing, I Surrender Some. Is your whole body a vessel for Jesus Christ? Because think about that. Paul could say, yeah, my hands are for Jesus Christ to do the, the will of the Father, to do His work. My feet are for Jesus Christ to bring me to the place I need to do His will. I mean, Paul could say, listen, my eyes, my, my mouth, my ears, my mind is for Jesus Christ. My arms, my legs are for Jesus Christ. Now watch this. If I keep talking, pretty soon I'm going to have to describe private parts. You say, well, that's a little graphic. Are your private parts for Jesus Christ? What's that mean? It means you can't have some of your members serving God while the rest of your members are serving another God. Because our private parts should be holy. God made man and woman their private parts to procreate and to experience a tremendous intimacy of enjoyment of each other, of marriage between a man and a woman. And so my question is for you, is your body completely for Jesus? Romans 6.12 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its it in its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you and then it says down in verse 19 of Romans 6 it says for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness and then Romans 12.1 tells us, Paul says, Wherefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you presenting yourself a living sacrifice? Praise the Lord. You know the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice? Is a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar. And isn't it funny when things get tough or we don't get our way, we'll crawl off that altar? But can I encourage you to stay on that altar? Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In verses 21 through 22, he talks about investing. He looks at every day that he's here on the earth as an investment. He says, if I live on, this, will, this means fruit for my labor. Yet what I choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. I look at that and I go, are you kidding me? He saw every day on this earth as an investment into the kingdom of God. Do you know you can't take anything with you? But you can send it ahead. 
You know, we have billionaires living on this island. Rich people that don't know Jesus. And then you got the guy that, the richest guy, what's his name? Elon Musk or something. And you got Bill Gates, you got Soros, you got Zuckerberg, you got the guy from Google. They need Jesus. Because for some reason they think all those billions that they have is power and authority. We've got two of them living on this island and they're buying up all the property on the island. They want to be the next Robinson or McBride, right? When I came here in the 70s, all, everything was owned by Robinson and McBride. And, and when you own everything, you've got to say what goes on. And, and they're buying up everything. They're buying up land. I'll probably get in trouble for this. I'll probably get off of YouTube for this, right? They're buying up land that shouldn't be sold to them because of the deal with the Hawaiians. And they're buying up so much land to where they're starting to control even our mayor. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> because our mayor has billionaire eyes now. We used to be able to meet with the mayor every month and pray with him. No more. But I pray for him. Because I know he has a good heart. He's just got to learn to take the goggles off of the world and put on Jesus. What are you investing in? Well, if you look at where you spend your time and your money, you're going to find out what you're investing in. If, if you're investing in a career or gaining fame or you're investing in the wrong things. You need to be investing as a believer in Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. Because there's nothing greater. And when you get your priorities straight, guess what? Everything else falls into place. <laughs> Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. And His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. So Paul says there, if I live in the flesh, that means if I live in the flesh, I'm investing. There's going to be more fruit in my labor. Yet what I should choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But nevertheless, to stay here in the flesh with you is more needful for you. What a statement. Paul says here, he goes, I, I, I don't know what to do. To go with Christ is far better, but if I stay here, it's more needful for you. He doesn't know which one to choose, to be with Jesus Christ or to serve Jesus Christ. And I'm like, wow. I mean, you guys were thinking like, no-brainer, right? Go to be with the Lord, Paul. But in his heart, he was thinking, yeah, but all these people are dying and going to hell, and it's, it's better that I stay here and keep doing the Lord's will. So I know it's far better to go be with the Lord, but it's more needful for me to be here with you. Because there's work to be done. There's people that need to be saved. Paul didn't know what to choose. He, he understood that it was a great honor and a privilege to serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Lord and Savior. He realized that there was a short window to do that. Guys, you are here but a vapor. 
What is a vapor? You know, on those, you know, the cold Hawaii days, when, you know, Don Patrol, we're down at the beach and it's like gotten down to 57 degrees and we're like all freaking out and you can kind of see your breath. And it, you see your breath come out, a little fog, and then it just goes, that's your life. That's what James is saying. You have a little window, short window. I mean, if you, if you just like try to, to put it all out there in, in a graph, right? You, you put 6,000 years and from year one all the way to 6,022. And you put a dot where you lived. You barely see that dot. Can you imagine putting it on a, a scale of eternity? You have a short window to make a difference for Jesus Christ right here. Because once you're in heaven, you can't do that. That, that, that ship is sailed. And I don't want to get to heaven thinking I could have done more. I could have gave more. I could have helped more. I could have been, I mean, you know, I think we're all going to be like that though, including myself. I could have done more. It was still all about me. I was still so consumed with me that I was getting in the way of serving Jesus Christ. I was getting in the way of sharing the gospel because it wasn't convenient. And I think I'm going to get up there and you're going to get up there and we're going to say, I could have done more and we're going to start weeping. But you know what the Bible says? That he's going to wipe away our tears. He's going to give us a new body and we won't be able to sin anymore. Eternity is eternity, but serving is a short window of opportunity to choose Jesus Christ. And Paul was driven by that. He was driven by heaven, I think. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, it says, this is Paul. Paul is dealing with these guys that are boasting that they're better than Paul. And Paul's like, I don't want to boast, but if you're going to get in a boast fest, I might as well boast because I can out-boast you. Because when it comes to works, I blow you away. I don't want to lower myself to this level, but you force me. And so he says this, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such as a one, was caught up into the third heaven. Caught up, that's harpazo. That's, that's the word we use for being the rapture. Caught up. He was caught up into the, the third heaven. Same word, harpazo in the Greek, rapture in Latin. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. I think that was the driving force. He said, he, he can't even say himself. That's how, that's how humble he is. He can't even say, this happened to me. And he said 14 years ago. Now, if you go back 14 years ago from when he wrote this, that would put him in Lystra. Lystra is where they, they got so upset with him, they stoned him to death and then took and threw his carcass outside of the city. And he came back to life. He died, went to the third heaven. What's the third heaven? Well, the first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars lie. The third heaven is the throne of God. And he witnessed and saw things he said it would be sin to try to describe. And then God brought him back to life. And get, what, remember what he did? He got up and he went right back in the city to preach. I don't know, because of what he saw, he went back in there and said, finish me off so I could go back to where I was just at. Or he just saw, wow, this is what lies ahead for me. I need to get busy. And I'll tell you what, so many times I've prayed that God 
would bless our church with either a vision or a dream, a glimpse of heaven. It's going to kind of jumpstart us. And for some of you, I pray for a glimpse of hell. To scare the hell out of you. To actually feel it for a moment. The torment that an unbeliever will experience throughout eternity. Because I think if God gave us either one of those, either a, a dream of heaven or hell, it would change our whole life. It would be a full game changer. Because you'd realize you got a short window and time's running out. So I ask you, how much does God mean to you? What are you doing for the kingdom? Paul understood we had a small window and he was grateful for his eternal life. He was grateful for everything that God did. Are you grateful for eternal life? Does it mean anything to you? Does it break your heart that your neighbor's dying and going to hell? Does it break your heart you have family members? Have you tried but just given up? Stop. Go back. Try again. What's it going to hurt? In verse 23, he talks about departing and going to be with Christ is far better. I get it. It is. But to have that heart like, Lord, just keep me here as long as you want so I can be a benefit to the kingdom is an awesome prayer. The word depart is to immediately be with Christ. I say that because there's churches out there that, that teach us soul sleep. There's no such thing as soul sleep. You don't die and stay in the grave awaiting the rapture. It, it doesn't work. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you say praise God? Praise God. The, you know, the thief on the cross, did, did Jesus say, today you'll be with me in paradise? Or did he say, well, you know what? You just go to sleep for 6,000 years, I'll be back. There's no soul sleep. He said to depart and to go be with Jesus is far better. But I'm torn between those two because I know that if I stay here, it's needful for you. There's people that are counting on you to pour into them. And you're here. You're still here because it is needful for you to be here to pour into them. God is using you. That's a good thing. And Paul in Verse 24, he says, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith, that in rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ in my coming to you again. Now, it's interesting that he would say that because something happens here in verses 25 and 26 that is different from what we saw in 20. In 20, he was acting like he didn't know if he was going to live or die. But in 25 and 26, it's almost like he has a Holy Spirit moment. And he says, you know, you know what? I'm going to be released and I'll be, I'll be back to see you. <laughs> Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? In verse 27, he says, only let your conduct... Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your lifestyle be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and I see you or I am absent, that I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel 
and in no way be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And so here in these closing statements here in this chapter, he, he says, listen, what I want more than anything is unity amongst the body of Christ. I want you guys striving together in unity, in one spirit, standing fast for the gospel now more than ever, the church needs to be standing fast. Not just this church, but this church with other churches that believe in the same thing we believe. We need to be interlocking. We need to be in unity. We need to be striving together for the gospel. We need to be standing fast. This is a time when everything's going down in the end times that, that's right now is when the enemy wants to come in and divide the church. You've you got to say, I'm not going to allow this division to take place. That's my brother. That's my sister. I'm not going to argue with them. I realize I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the powers and rulers of darkness. So this, this argument is done. I love you. Let's pray together. Right? And then he says, you know, he goes, listen, when you, when you come under heavy attack, and it seems like your whole world's about to collapse, he says, he says when people are coming after you and they're attacking at you and it's just, they're just doing evil towards you, he says that's the proof of their perdition. That's the proof of their damnation. That's the proof of their judgment. And because they're attacking you is the proof of your salvation. That's what he says there in verse 28. And then 29 and 30 where he says, listen, we're going to suffer for his name. I don't like that. <laughs> and you know what? You don't either. We love the verse that's in uh, Philippians chapter 3. I think it's 3.10. To know Him and the power of His resurrection. Yes! The power and the fellowship of His suffering. No! Lord, I'll serve you, but I want it to be easy. Lord, I'll serve you, but I want it to be on my terms. Lord, I'll serve you, but this hurts. They broke my heart. I've been shattered. My whole world's been crumbled. You know what God would say to me? Good, Steve. It's about time that world was crumbled because it was useless. Now start working for the kingdom. Paul, right before he died, he wrote to Timothy and he said, For I am already poured out a drink offering. What's that mean? There's no coming back when you're poured out as a drink offering. He knew his time was short. The time of my departure is at hand. There's that word departure. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to be put to death. I'm going to go see Jesus. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Now listen to this. And not just to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We all got a crown waiting. There's a bunch of crowns. Did you know that? I, I encourage you to, to get those crowns so we can throw them at his feet and see how wonderful he is. If anybody understood about suffering, it was the Apostle Paul. I'm running out of time. Gosh. Let me close with this. When it deals with suffering, because we've all suffered, and some more than others, and some are suffering and going through stuff right now, 
Let me just read this. Let, let this be a life verse for you. Write it down. Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18, Paul says this. Now check this out. Take it in. When I'm done, I hope you shout amen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You uh, just for that promise. We thank You. You're using us. But Lord, we need your help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help humble us, to allow us to be more usable, that you would be glorified, that we would be about your business, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And every day, Lord, you keep us here is one more chance to produce fruit. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to throw the net out right now. Take the bait. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus rose again on the third day. And He's now offering you a gift of salvation. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. He did it all. Are you willing to take that gift and live forever with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If that's you, I want you to pray right now in your heart, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe You died for me for my sin. I believe you rose on the third day and I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life and that no one goes to the Father except through you. I'm asking you right now to save me in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now go live by the power of the Holy Spirit and finish and finish well. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.